What the fuck is up, world? We're back. Another grito. This time, solo cast, just your boy, ready to get back to the game, following the heels of a dope-ass conversation that I had with my boy Rob just uh, the other uh, yesterday, if I'm being super fucking honest with you, right? Uh, I'm on Christmas break right now, so for the last two weeks and some days, I've had nothing to do. I'm not yet at the point where I'm fucking clawing at my face, trying to get back to the start of the semester so I can actually have something more to entertain myself with, right? Uh, but I've been trying to be as productive as I possibly can. So trying to get as many of these podcasts out in the time that I have to be able to do so. So yeah, just last night with my boy Rob and a fucking amazing conversation. I hope you all enjoyed that as much as I did. Right. Um, but whatever the case, I'm looking forward to getting back to the solo cast. And at least for today's episode, uh, I'm working on some other shit, I guess I should say. Uh, I'm working on some I, uh, more of the, uh, the philosophy of self-care right uh the selfishness and all that kind of shit but now i'm going to inform with a little bit more of authenticity that's coming from this book here i've also been doing some more i've been revisiting an old favorite my little doggy my tiny little doggy she tore this bad boy up because it's such a fucking dope book she couldn't wait to sink her teeth into it herself eh eh <laughs> i'm sorry i don't know what the fuck that was a terrible terrible fucking pun and uh very cringy it made myself cringe okay so anyways the point here is for those of you who are listening I'm holding up a book to the camera, right? And the book is actually, um, it's it's a little bit ripped. And it really is because my dog, <laughs> one of my dogs, she uh, she did literally get a little pause on it and, and, and went to town, right? So that's where that terrible, terrible attempt at a joke comes from, okay? Uh, aside from that, right, uh, the whole point about trying to, uh, introducing that book, showing the book, is because that's another book that I've been working on recently revisiting in hopes that not in hopes it's going to happen before you know i return back to work uh sometime next month and that's going to be that uh mexica philosophy more mexica philosophy okay so we have the authenticity that's coming over here for us from a more existential from the at least a european perspective and then i'm going to get back at it with some more mexica philosophy i also got this other great book that i'm looking forward to fucking sharing with you all it's called uh let me see the exact name give me one second apologize for the dead air but the name of the book was in the dust of this planet by this gentleman philosopher named eugene thacker it's a it was a very interesting book so interesting in fact that i went off and got the rest of the complete trilogy because i'm looking forward to sharing a lot of what he has to say about philosophy as well if you look specific this is again sorry for those of you who are listening but for those of you who are watching uh the subtitle for the text itself is the horror horror of philosophy volume one right so i'm looking forward to sharing with that uh in, in the coming weeks uh, the basic gist between the uh, in regards to the philosophy of horror is something that is intimately tied to not only the existential philosophy in the sense that it it's it, it's bringing up many questions of our nature as human beings. It's the the genre of horror in regards to philosophy specifically, and the idea here is not necessarily horror as in oh my god, it's a fucking uh, 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 you know a, a masked psychopath out in the woods trying to kill people or a fucking. A little a, a clown hiding in the sewers is trying to eat children. It's not horror in that sense, although both of those movies can definitely be viewed via the genre of horror and philosophy. What this gentleman is speaking of specifically, though, is um, the horror of just definitely existing as a human being, right? But more specifically, it's it's like at least for now, I got I I just finished this one, so it's going to be a little bit rough my 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 translation for now. But uh, it's the horror of existing first and foremost, okay? And then the horror of realizing that what we experience as reality is a very limited conception of reality, as I've, I've, I have explained uh, multiple times throughout this podcast, namely through our senses, right? So there may very well be more to the world than our perception 
uh, allows us to see, right? So this gentleman picks this up, this idea up via the novels of H.P. Lovecraft. He's got this really great part where he speaks about how it's a scientist and his and this person who is uh, documenting their their experience, uh, their his experience with the, with the scientist, and they like they enter this what he refers to as a magic circle, but in this case, the magic circle is a a science facility, uh, like a lab, a laboratory, right? And then. Um, the horror comes into play for them when they realize that uh, by entering into this fucking sacred circle, that the reality of the world as it, it truly is begins to unfold and reveal itself to them. And this guy's talking about how he was horrified to see that the same world that he was living in just prior to the start of the experiment, for instance, is being occupied now by these fucking gelatinous blobs of oozes that were been floating around him the entire time. And yet he just wasn't able to see them because he wasn't in, in inside of the sacred circle. You know what I'm saying? So that's the other element of when he speaks of the genre horror, the realization that, oh shit, the world that we live in is not necessarily the world for us, if you will. Just because the, the way that we have structured reality doesn't necessarily imply that reality is under any sort of obligation to reflect what our perception is of that reality, right? And then the third part of the horror element is the world without us. He refers to it as the world without us. And essentially what the world without us is the realization that the world, the universe in general is essentially entirely indifferent to our existence and whether we existed or not is completely fucking irrelevant. And more importantly, that unless we were to, you know, shape, shape up and get our shit together as human beings, uh, as I've mentioned before, specifically, he doesn't mention it himself, but the, uh, the analogy that I like to give is even if, you know, we manage to uh, ascend and transcend to this fucking ubermensch type of existence collectively as human beings we still got to get off this fucking planet man we live on an unsustainable planet not just in terms of the resources anymore but in the in the sense that in, it's going to happen it's not going to happen nowhere near our lifetime right but inevitably the sun will explode and it will take anything that is fucking anything within its vicinity with it including this planet meaning that fucking everything that we've ever come to know about human existence and human history it basically was as if it never existed, right? The whole Thanos idea where you snap your fingers and it just fucking ceases to exist, right? So however much human history supposedly can be made from here until the billions of years from when the sun does explode, unless we find our our way off this planet before that particular time comes and onto a more sustainable planet, it's all gone. Like everything from the fucking this right here to everything that preceded this and everything that's going to, you know, come after this and, you know, forever many billions of years. So that's the, 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 the tertiary element of this horror. They're realizing that, yo, like we are entirely fucking irrelevant on the cosmic scheme of things and that the world could very much exist without us here. Now it gets a little bit deeper than that because there's way it's an old idealism. Uh, conundrum idealism the idea that the belief that ideas are what shape our reality right and the problem with this is that i well, the only way that idealism works is if, is if there is something or someone to experience that reality or have that idea right so whatever the, the, the gist for this book is that we whatever the idea is that we have of what a world without us will be is itself self-defeating because Again, it's us in this world imagining what the world and the universe is with us in it. And this is 
so far removed what he's talking about the genre horror in a tertiary form in the sense that whatever we think of reality again in regards tying it into the second one doesn't necessarily mean that that has to be what reality is right so this very horrific if you will uh, 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 fear, this very primordial fear that seeps into our consciousness at any given moment, right? And then from there, this is where the, the tertiary element from the uh, going back to the Mexica philosophy book comes into play because as I was reading through that book in particular, uh, one of the things that kept coming up into mind was just how it's not that it's unproblematic, okay? It's not that it's unproblematic. It's still very much of an issue for the Mexica philosophers, okay? But this book definitely it solidified a belief that I've had for a very long time. And the belief is that Western philosophy is only now catching up to where Mexica philosophy left off. So if you've been following this podcast, you'll know that a few episodes ago, I believe in episode 27, I talked about how we exist, you know, where I say we, I comfortably can identify myself as such, uh, as a, a Chicano person, you know, following the Nahuatl conception of reality. We exist in a different space and time. You know what I'm saying? And because we exist in a different space and time, another element that comes into play is our understanding of reality was formed from a complete different start point. And that because of that, it inevitably is going to end up at a complete different end point, right? Just a quick little reiteration from a longer discussion that I had on the, I believe again, it was episode 27. And um, so the idea here then is that once, you know, in the different endpoints, right, that there's philosophy that has been you know, neglected, as I talked about just in my previous podcast with my boy Rob, that has introduced these ideas like the genre horror and perhaps even potential responses to them. Uh, for me personally, I guess I'll give you a little bit more, even more backdrop into how the complete start and end point really does affect the distinction between Mexica and European philosophy and how it, it informs my idea that this book right here uh, is getting to a point that, you know, Mexica philosophers had already arrived at for, in my opinion, and it's informed by not only what it, what, uh, you know, my own personal experience as a philosophy professor, but also as a, as a student, uh, it's thousands of years old. You know what I'm saying? Like this philosophy wasn't just concretized five years before the Spaniards arrived in the 1500s. Like, fuck no, dude. In fact, if you get, once you start reading really deeply into ancient Nahuatl traditions and their philosophies, you'll realize like they stated themselves, much of the knowledge and the ideas that we have, we inherited this from the elders, right? The, 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 yeah, what, they have a specific term, but it's completely escaping me because I wasn't expecting to speak about it today, but uh, it's the Olmec, the Olmeca and the Tolteca, right? They refer to them as the, as the ancestors of the knowledge. So this knowledge is ten, tens, I would say tens of thousands of years old, but I'm saying tens of thousands, but it's probably more like eight, at least eight or nine, right? And I'm basing my idea of eight or nine based because that's about how much, how many years civilization is said to have existed in, in, in you know, in, in on Turtle Island. Well, let me let me walk that statement back. I'm basing this even more specifically. Fuck on another book that I've been reading. I'm not trying to com uh, continue to bombard you with books, but I guess uh, to keep in line with a, a, a theme that I've seen on social media, it's not necessarily a bad thing. People are, are posting. For instance, uh, their 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 best years of the book, uh, their best books of the years, rather. And so I guess I'm continuing that tradition myself. And the book that I'm talking about here specifically is, let's see. Oh, I apologize again for the dead air, but it's this one. 
our sacred mother, right? Uh, Maze is our sacred mother. Oh, I apologize again. Our sacred maze is our mother. Okay, another book that I've been reading here. And the idea is that corn uh, maze, right, is the is, is the cradle, if you will, of culture on Turtle Island. You know, the idea here then being is that it's traced back scientifically, by the way, for over about 7,000 years, okay? And so when I say tens of thousands, I'm basing that number on the idea that maize and when its introduction is what allowed people to actually fucking settle down and start philosophizing, right? So uh, for at least, I'm let's be generous and say for at least 8,000 years, okay? And that's being very generous. This uh, Mexica philosophy in its form has existed and thus I'm making the assertion that the conclusion that they got to is one that Western European philosophy is only now starting to address. And I really, really, really do think that this book is uh, uh, is indicative of that very trend right here. If you could see one of the notes that I wrote to myself, for those of you who are watching, for those of you who aren't, is Teotel. I wrote it Teotel in giant bold-faced letters because as I'm reading through this, I start to realize like, yo, when we speak of uh, 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 the European tradition of philosophy, it's important to understand that it's it's made some significant contributions, especially to the field of science, okay? But one of the drawbacks of the contributions that it's made to the field of science is the it's the scientification of the world, of the universe in general. Uh, one of the I find, I should say, that one of the uh, the biggest mis misunderstandings of philosophy, like at least very uh, pop culture philosophy, is obviously my boy Nietzsche, right? Uh, but specifically his statement that God is dead. Okay. Uh, I know I've mentioned it before in the podcast, but just briefly to reiterate, when Nietzsche was speaking about the idea that God is dead, he wasn't speaking about the actual, whatever it is that God is, That that's not what Nietzsche is talking about. He was specifically talking about the Christian, uh, the Christian God, the Abrahamic God in general, right? Because that just happens to be the society that he was living under, German Christendom. Okay. But uh, it's not necessarily an attack on the Christian God so much as it is an attack on all gods in general. And furthermore, it's not meant to be like this boast of, hell yeah, science for the win. You know what I'm saying? Fuck the world type shit. Nah, man, it's actually a giant lament in Nietzschean philosophy. It's like, oh, fuck, dude. Now that God is dead, it's taken all of our systems of values and beliefs with it. And we as people thus are left in a state where we realize that not only are we not special, the genre ecology of uh, rather genre horror, right? And in, in the scope of the universe, but fuck, it may very well be that our life has no meaning and purpose and value. This is the nihilistic component that Nietzschean often gets misattributed to himself, as I've mentioned before, but it bears repeating again. For those of you who are only listening now, Nietzsche wasn't a nihilist, but this is where that misinterpretation comes from. They realize that, or at least people misconstrue the idea that Nietzsche's realization that in the absence of any divine figure that we are left with only nihilism. But Nietzsche was like, fuck no, man, we got to overcome an idea that, by the way, he had in common with the Mexica people who preceded him for again tens of th ten, let's say ten thousand years. Okay. Um, anyways, how this relates to this whole tangent that I'm on here right now, it's simple. Um, scientism, man, the idea that you can reduce our entire understanding of reality into scientific understandings. And it's fucking awesome. Like again, I mentioned it before, but I'll say it again. I am not a science denier. I am a fucking science advocate. I think science is awesome. But as I talked about in the previous podcast, not the previous one, my boy Rob, but the courage to grow one, it was the idea that it does reduce us to nothing more than automata, right? So rather than continue along with that uh, idea that I've already extrapolated upon, I'm going to take it a complete different way now and, and tie it in with the idea of, you know, escaping this planet 
be- the dust of this planet, right? That's that's a little bit the, the name of the book or whatever, right? Because, well, uh, I mean, dude, if scientism is correct, there realistically is no purpose in why we should do anything. You know what I'm saying? Not only is it all predetermined in advance, but the sun's going to fucking explode. And if we don't find a way off of this bitch, the, every trace of whatever it is that we've ever done through our entire life is going to fucking, <laughs> it's going to disappear. You know what I'm saying? So because of that, one of the biggest problems, and this is a, a problem that Nietzsche was trying to get to, one of the many that Nietzsche was trying to get to with his proclamation that God is dead, is that if this is the case, then why the fuck should we do anything? What's the point of getting out of bed in the morning? What's the point of doing this podcast? What's the point of you doing whatever it is that you're actively engaging in whenever it is that you're trying to fucking find meaning and joy and purpose and value in your life? You know what I'm saying? That's a haunting, terrifying idea to have to contend with because your biggest biggest obstacle, I should say, my mouth wasn't working there for some reason, is science. You have to fucking literally overcome what science is telling us about reality. You know what I'm saying? And that's a, a pretty formidable task, to put it kindly, okay? Because it'd be equivalent to saying that shit like gravity doesn't exist. You know what I'm saying? When we when we make proclamations of free will, it's it's, it's akin to that very type of thing. You know what I'm saying? So in, inherent in this, there's a really beautiful example of this idea that I found that really connected with a lot of people. It was this gentleman on the Humans of New York page. I found it on Facebook. But it was also sent to me a few uh, by my uh, by my girlfriend on Instagram, right? Uh, who was it was sent to her by one of her friends, and you know it's just I'm so the idea here being is that it's fucking it was massively shared for one the humans of New York has a gigantic reach, right? And on top of that, it was being sent to people from people, or rather, it was being sent from people to people who never even had heard of uh, uh, humans of New York, like my girlfriend, right? And this story was so powerful that even with people like her, it fucking connected in such a way that she was like, dude, you have to see this. And the message was of this guy, very, very intelligent gentleman. You can just tell by the words that he's speaking, very fucking articulate, very intelligent, very aware of what the fuck it is that I just talked about. He's saying that, you know, for him, the understanding that we've been reduced by, via the scientific understanding of reality to our most basic fundamental molecular existence, mechanical existence, that there's no point. There realistically is no point, right? And that because of that, he finds himself struggling with just getting out of bed in the morning. He found himself, I don't know, I mean, he, I haven't followed up with it. Humans of New York, maybe they posted it again, but at the time of his writing it, he found himself struggling with doing just basic everyday shit, like getting out of bed, cleaning the room, etc. And he goes on to talk about how he wishes that he could explain to his family that the reason that he's doing it is not because he's a fucking scoundrel, but because he just doesn't see the point. Like there literally is no point to it. And it, when, when I when I read this, I didn't get the impression that it was somebody who was you know struggling with. Uh, I don't want to say I, I I didn't I didn't get it from a negative perspective. I didn't read it from a negative perspective. Okay, I read it from a very 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 positive perspective, and the perspective that I read it from is one that you know, really resonate, has resonated with me that I'm learning to try to embrace and be mindful of as I, as I continue to age and fucking, you know, grow into a, 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 an older version of myself. And that is the, you, you stratify things in accordance to their, 
ultimate importance and value in life. You know what I'm saying? So what I mean by that is, I'll give you a personal example for me personally, right? For those of you who are homies and you're listening along, maybe this will shed a little bit of insight as to why. But for me personally, like I don't, I don't wash my truck. Like I fucking never wash my truck, and I don't, I just, I don't see the point. I keep the inside clean, no doubt about it. The inside is important for me to clean, uh, to keep clean. You know what I'm saying? But as far as the outside is concerned, I don't see a purpose and point to it. Like at best, it's just it looks aesthetically pleasing, right? But aside from that, I'm not really concerned with the aesthetics of how the truck looks in its exterior form, right? So fuck, man, I haven't washed my truck in over a year. You know what I'm saying? And for some of my, uh, especially when I was growing up, because this should give a little bit of insight to the type of people that I grew up with, right? That's a very important thing for them to do. It's a very important, uh, it's, it's, it's a very high value in the culture that I grew up in here in North Central El Paso, Texas, right? Uh, but me personally, it's just, it's not that important. So as, especially now, like now that I'm becoming a little bit more versed and like I say, uh, it, uh, uh, engaging with this, I understanding better. I, I, it's, it's not that important to me. Like I could go wash my truck. I could even drive it through one of the quick drive through ones. Right. But realistically, it's, it's, it, it, since it's of such nil importance to me, I very rarely even consider it. Now we'll extrapolate from such a very basic example, like fucking washing our truck to things like work stressors, to things like relationship stressors, man. At this point in my life, I could see how many people would get fucking you know, um, distraught over how their employment, myself, I've been in this position before, is causing them significant stressors in life, okay? There's no question about it. We live in a society, man, right? Capitalism and all that kind of shit. However, with that said, I've lost jobs and I've gained jobs. So I realized that as devastating as it is to fucking have, you know, uh, work strife, the work strife should end at work. You know what I'm saying? Because if I bring that work strife home with me, that's already if I if I if I leave with if I leave from work with this relation with this work strife, it's already starting to impact my own personal life outside of my employment. You know what I'm saying? So what I'm trying to get to here is in regards to the the example of washing the truck. It's simple. Like, is this something of grand importance? Like in my life, definitely it might appear that way because again, capitalism and all that kind of shit. But if the sun does fucking in fact explode and it takes every, it takes every single fucking trace of any existence on this, in this fucking solar system with it. Okay. What the fuck was the point of stressing all that time for? It was literally pointless. You can apply that to things the same with relationship, like relationship drama, like, damn, am I really going to pick a fight with this person right now? And then cause myself to have a long ass fucking day of drawn, drawn out fucking uncomfortable feelings. Cause a, it could be easily remedied by a conversation and B, like the fucking sun's going to explode, bro. What's the fucking point, man? You know what I'm saying? So when I was reading through the, 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 it was about five different slides on Instagram. When I was reading through his words, that's, that's the impression that I got from it. It was the impression of somebody who was able to put things into perspective and realize like, yo, there really is no point to any of this. So why the fuck am I even going to bother with it? At sometimes it's pretty bad because I can barely get out of bed. But honestly, bro, fucking same. And if you're listening to this, chances are you probably relate to that shit too. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's why I believe it hit so hard for so many people. And then from there, you extrapolate it to even further things like, okay, cool. If making the bed's not important then and cleaning the room's not important, then fucking washing the truck's not important, fucking concerning myself with you know, work relationship drama, all that kind of shit concerning myself with my favorite team losing whatever big game. I could start to see how that's not important either. 
Now, from there, I should I should start to qualify it further is that it's obviously, obviously a very fucking fine line to walk between not understanding why you should get out of bed and not wanting to get out of bed and then in turn, in turn, actually fucking staying in bed. And and on top of that, fucking lamenting and ruining the fact that, oh, existence is a prison or, you know, whatever, all that kind of shit. And that inevitably, not only are we going to come to an end, but the the the, the solar system, the sun, all that kind of stuff is also going to come to an end and then following down this fucking misery hole of, you know, existential dread. That's the fine line on the one hand. And on the other hand, it's the fucking realization like, yo, if nothing matters. What the fuck am I concerning myself with all this kind of shit for, right? And I believe, me personally, if I sound passionate right now speaking about it, it's because that's how deeply it is that I do so, that that's where, that's where Western philosophy is now. That's the point that Western philosophy has been since Nietzsche made the bold proclamation that God is dead. That's exactly where it's been, and we haven't, they haven't necessarily transgressed beyond that. Now what philosophy, on the other hand, that's where it begins. That. Everything that I just qualified with, what seems to be the biggest issue in existent uh, European philosophy, that's the Nawat starting point. Okay, the Nawat people start there, and that's an understanding that I really started to get from this book right here. It's like, yo, Florin Canto, man, we've already figured it out. These European philosophy, the tradition of European philosophy is just trying to catch up. Now, when I say that, I don't want to give the impression of hierarchy or dominance because I don't fucking care about that kind of shit. It's not, oh shit, my shit's better than yours and whatever. Dude, that, I'll leave that to the colonialist. You know what I'm saying? What I'm bringing it up for is the simple fact that doing so, I hope, will get people to understand like, yo, to tie it into the previous podcast with my boy Rob, why are we so fucking vehemently trying to exclude these philosophies that potentially have things to offer into our lives? You know what I'm saying? Like, I firmly believe that Nawad's philosophy can help alleviate, at least assuage, uh, some of the existential dreads associated with their, the horror of existence. You know, okay, and that's something about a, that's a, a push that this book is trying to make is introduced through the Western tradition of philosophy, and you know, it's slowly making its rounds through. And I believe that it's the ultimate. It's a real issue. Not it's always been a real issue. So yeah, from that understanding, you know, I've, these are ideas that I'm only now fucking with. Like I said, in the last two weeks that it is that I've been on break, so I'm looking forward to expanding on those ideas a little bit more because I believe uh, fully that in there somewhere are very important keys to not just understanding, hopefully bridging even the schism between Mexica and European philosophy, but also more importantly to share some of the insights that it is that I've uh, 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 achieved along the way of working through these ideas, right? Uh, one of the ones that really was really like fucking with me, not fucking with me in a negative way. I don't want to say it in a negative way, but one that I kept on having was this idea in sticking with the Nietzschean, te uh, uh, the Nietzschean theme of eternal recurrence. Uh, when we speak about another misunderstood and misappropriated idea in Nietzschean philosophy, that's definitely one of them, right? So just a quick summation real quick. The idea of eternal recurrence, Nietzsche's got this beautiful, beautiful prose that it talks about uh, this demon that ascends in the middle of the night and creeps up on this person during you, me, during our loneliest of lonelies, right? And Nietzsche uh, has us imagine that this demon tells the person in the text uh, that their life as they're currently living it right now, they're going to live in the same exact order 
for all of eternity in an infinitely recurring, hence the infinite return, infinite recurrence, right? Uh, in an infinitely recurring manner for, for all of eternity, right? And the basic idea is then that Nietzsche is asking us via this demon to consider. If you were to hear this news, if you were to be told, yo, everything that you've ever done in your entire life, you are going to live an infinitely many times over. Would you fucking stand up with joy and say, fuck yeah, I love my life so much and that everything that's ever happened in my life, the good and the bad, that I can't fucking wait to live through it an infinitely many number of times? Or would you fucking drop down to the floor and weep and lament and curse this fucking wretched demon that brought such fucking vicious news to you, uh, the news here being that this miserable fucking wretched life that you've existed in so far that brought nothing but fucking misery and despair that you're going to have to live an infinitely many times over. That's the basic gist behind this Nietzschean idea of uh, 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 eternal recurrence. And so what Nietzsche is trying to fucking challenge us then is, you know, in order to overcome that nihilistic void that I discussed earlier is to fucking actually live a life of meaning and value, to actually fucking live this picturesque work of aesthetic beauty of a life that is going to inspire us to be like, fuck yeah, dude, I can't wait to come back and live this life uh, infinitely many times over. Now, uh, I mentioned it before, but it's meant to be mostly a thought experiment, right? And even then, I was fucking with this idea the other day, and it's the thought experiment kind of morphed a little bit when I started to realize, okay, let's just imagine that what people say about death is true, right? To, to keep in line with this, uh, in the dust of this or of this planet, like it's such a uh, 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 such a task is literally phenomenologically, it's a phenomenological impossibility. We have no idea what it's like to be dead. We have we can't even begin to comprehend it because in order to do so, you'd have to be fucking aware and conscious during the moment of actual death itself, which seems to be, again, the phenomenological impossibility, okay? However, let's imagine that what people assume to be true of death is correct, and that is that your life does in fact flash before your eyes, before you die. Every single thing, okay? From the moment you were born till the moment that you expire, right? Okay. Now, let's further fucking uh, extend this idea and assume then that your understanding of reality, your understanding of eternity, more specifically, my understanding of eternity and reality, every single person on this planet that's ever existed and will ever exist, their understanding of reality and eternity, most importantly, it exists solely within the time that they are in existence. And because again, it's an idea that can only be experienced by a thinking alive, well, for sure thinking, right? Maybe even a robot. Ooh, okay. Uh, but it, it, you need a brain of some sort to be able to understand and articulate this idea of eternity. Okay. So in that respect, then the idea, the entire scope of eternity is essentially limited to however long it is that this particular vat brain, whatever it is to try to be as inclusive to our alien and animal and robot counterparts that don't operate their intelligence based off of a brain like us humans do, right? It's whatever their experience of eternity is, it's entirely dependent on how long that they are able to, that essentially how long we're alive, okay? I'm doing a very clumsy job of explaining this and I apologize. Like I said, I'm only just this last week started fucking with this idea, but let's put it this way. If you live for 30 years, your entire eternity exists within 30 years. If you live for fucking five minutes, your entire eternity, your scope, your understanding of what eternity is, is limited to five 
minutes. Okay. So from there, let's go back to this idea then. All right. So you have, let's say 80 years, 80, whatever, however many years of eternity, right? Of your life. And you get to the end point. And now your life flashes before your eyes prior to the moment that you expire. Okay. If your entire life is flashing before your eyes at the moment you expire, then it entails that you are reliving your entire life all over again from start to finish. And then you get back to the end point to where you die. And then your life flashes before your eyes again. And then you go back to the very beginning and you relive your life again for however long it is that your understanding of eternity was eternity was until you get back to the moment that you expire and your life again flashes before your eyes and you are set back to the very beginning in an infinitely many number of times recurring over and over and over again for all of reality. No one ever really dies, boy. That's what the fuck we're talking about, right? The Mexica would definitely say that, but perhaps a complete in a little bit of a different way. They're going to want to say like, oh, you, maybe your life uh, in an infinitely many number of ways, right? But more importantly, the source of life itself, it doesn't disperse, it doesn't disappear. It's always in existence, okay? Anyway, so that's what I'm saying then in regards to the Nietzschean philosophy. If this ideas that I've been trying to piece together through these three books is correct, then of course this Nietzschean thought experiment is true because... Uh, not only do we get to, let's assume again that our life doesn't flash, uh, flash before our eyes, we get to the end point and we're going to repeat this shit over and over again. And more importantly, like, fuck, dude, you should really, really, really strive to do shit that is going to bring you happiness and joy. Because if we don't, like, fuck, you're going to be stuck in this fucking cycle, reliving this same fucking bullshit ass unhappy life that we've been living up until this point. And in this fucking negative feedback loop of unhappiness, man. And I'm just like, yo, fuck that for real. That shit is haunting. That shit is terrifying, right? So going back to this idea of Mexica philosophy and trying to bridge the gap with European philosophy is like, bro, that's my personal, that's my shit. Like, you know, I'm trying to fucking spread these words and try to make people more aware of it because they could realize like, yo, shit, there's like a lot at stake here, right? Not only it's, it, it might seem altruistic, but more, more importantly, like I'm going to be honest with you. It's perhaps even a little bit of uh, mostly, mostly, and I guess I should say the 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 self right the the the, the selfishness, the philosophy of selfishness that I that I uh, introduced in uh, episode twenty seven of the podcast, and that is that doing so is a requisite for me to be able to fucking uh, you know go through this infinite playback loop, assuming that it does in fact exist happily, right? I know me personally, for instance, when I don't do the shit that I got to do. Uh, uh, in order to get this podcast out, in order to get lectures out, in order, you know, like going to the gym, eating clean, eating healthy, not fucking drinking too much alcohol. If I'm not doing that, I'm not happy, man. I'm, in fact, very unhappy. And I can just, the fear of that unhappiness being the the scope of my entire life is fucking haunting. It's so haunting to the point now where it's like, fuck, dude, I almost don't even feel as though I have a choice, literally, in terms of free will. Like, I don't have a choice. The choice, I mean, we all, I guess, I still want to maintain something of a notion of free will, have the choice of saying, okay, I'm going to allow the unhappiness to take over me, or the choice of saying, nah, man, fuck that. As you know, difficult as it is to wake up in the morning to go work out, as difficult as it is to try to maintain a healthy diet, et cetera, 
the amount of happiness that it brings me pales in comparison to the very base level amount of happiness that comes with like sleeping in, eating junk food all the time, et cetera, right? And that little, that that brief exponential fleeting moment of happiness as fucking seemingly inconsequential as it may appear to be, that's going to ultimately make up the the scope, the breadth of my life. And, you know, if more of those are are, are, are tilted towards the negative experience, then it's only going to stand to reason that my entire fucking trajectory of life is not going to be a happy one. You know what I'm saying? And thus my infinitely returning self is going to be a continuously unsatisfied self. So yeah, when it comes back to uh, correlating this Mexica philosophy with the fucking Western traditional philosophy, the idea then is, you know, I've spoken about it before and I will speak about it to the fucking day that I expire. Recovery, man, recovering our existence, realizing, utilizing the philosophy to realize how this patterns of behavior that we've engaged in are keeping us from actually maximizing the most amount of happiness in our life, right? Trying to clear the obstacles, if you will, to refer back to the previous podcast, I believe, episode 26, okay? Now, with that said, one last idea that I've been fucking with this last week that I was really looking forward to coming out and sharing with you all. It's actually been about two weeks now, and in those two weeks' time, I've had plenty of time to think about just how fucking thrilled I am that the motherfucking Red Hot Chili Peppers are getting back together. Now, before I continue along this tangent, I should qualify it by saying that I am the fucking biggest Red Hot Chili... One of the... I'm not the biggest, okay? I'm the biggest Red Hot Chili Peppers fan, bro. Calm the fuck down, okay? It's not about hierarchies, bro. I don't care if you've gone to more Chili Peppers concerts. I'm not trying to compete with you over who is the fucking biggest fan of a worldwide famous band, okay? That's not what I'm saying. When I say I'm the biggest fan of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, I mean that they have had such a gigantic impact on my life, like undoubtedly the lives of millions of people around the world. That's why they were in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They're pretty fucking popular. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, um, about two weeks ago, the ori- well, original-ish lineup of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, certainly the most famous, was finally reunited when my boy, John Frusciante, made his return to the fucking Chili Peppers, bro. Now, I'm not going to front. I was a little bit hurt. Not hurt, but... Let's calm the fuck down with these ideas that these these words that I'm using are meant to be in their most uh, sad boy form. Like, not hurt in the sense like, oh my God, this is so devastating. But like, damn, that sucks for the, the guitarist, his friend, who replaced him upon his second departure from the band 10 years ago, uh, Josh Klinghoffer, right? Part of me felt pretty bummed about Josh Klinghoffer, which is interesting because when Josh Klinghoffer first came along, I had the whole stepdaddy syndrome where it's like, you're not even my real dad, bro. But with like a guitarist in a sense, like he's not even the real guitarist, man. No one could ever replace John Frusciante. Okay. Um, and in fact, those feelings were amplified further when their first album without John Frusciante came out. I'm with you. I was not a fan of that album for the longest time. Actually, up until about three or four months ago, I didn't fucking like that album at all. Finally, after three or four months ago, I actually sat down and engaged with the album and I was like, oh shit, I woke now. I woke as fuck. This album is the shit, right? Anyways, their their second album without John Frusciante with Josh Klinghoffer was fucking amazing. Amazing. 
right? The getaway, oh man, Danger Miles really did breathe some motherfucking life into the Chili Peps with that one, yo. And Josh Klinghoffer just, oof, he got down. That's all I can say. He demonstrated why he was not only an, he was just a perfect fucking replacement for John Frishanti. So when I say that I was kind of bummed, I was like, well, shit, like, you know, they weren't doing that bad without John Frishanti. And quite honestly, I had already made peace with the fact that John Frishanti was never going to come back. Now, this is significant. It was significant for me. I'm going to be real with you. When I read the news that the Chili Peppers were getting back together, I fucking honestly almost cried. I was fucking tears of joy crying because for the longest time, the departure of John Frusciante, I took that shit on a personal level, bro, like for reals. And it wasn't until literally them getting back, well, a little bit before, it's when I finally made peace with the fact that he was gone. And how I made peace with the fact that he was gone is that I realized I wasn't mad at John Frusciante leaving the Red Hot Chili Peppers, man. I was projecting my abandonment issues, me personally, right? Um, it's pretty funny because, okay, let's try to, it's not that I don't want to share because if you've listened to this podcast long enough, you should know full well that I have no qualms fucking sharing personal shit, okay? So much as it is, it's not entirely flushed out, fleshed out these ideas. And I really do want to give them justice because I, I, I think they merit it, okay? But, I'll get as deep as I possibly can with about the last 15 minutes or so that I have left for my time, this hour long podcast that I got so far. Okay. Um, I was in a relationship when, uh, well, I've been in a relationship for fucking almost 10 years now. Okay. With the same person. We took time off because we broke up. She dumped me rightfully so. Okay. And for about 10 months, almost a year, we were entirely broken up. And it was during that year that I realized because during that time, the second Red Hot Chili Peppers album was released, The Getaway, and it really did help with the healing process along with a lot, so much other music, right? And um, it was during that time that I realized that my initial feelings towards John Frusciante's departure of the band, they were realistically just, again, a reflection of my own abandonment issues, right? So going back to when John Frusciante first left, or sec the second time John Frusciante left the band, it was like around 2008, right? Um, they had already released Stadium Arcadium, and uh, shortly thereafter is when I met my girlfriend, right? And shortly thereafter, we really, really, really got into the Stadium Arcadium album together, like both of us together. It was one of the things that like helped forge the early part of our relationship, right? And every time I would hear the album, I would just get mad, like, fuck, man. I can't, not mad again, like, oh, I'm going to burn. Like, no, calm the fuck down again with these dramatic understandings of these words I'm using. I would get, like, angry, like, what the fuck? I can't believe John Frusciante left the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Look at how beautiful they are together. Look at how fucking much great music they make together. Like, look at how many people around the world they brought happiness with them being together. How fucking selfish of John Frusciante to have left the Red Hot Chili Peppers knowing all of that was at stake. A little bit of 
echoes into the irony, if you will. It's not irony, man. People grow. We're not static. We're dynamic. We're a learning process, okay? This is a little bit of the Red Hot Chili Peppers that I've dropped before. The process of becoming. Mexica philosophy, the metaphysics of becoming. We're not stagnant, fixed, static objects. We are in a fucking constant state of becoming. And what you become is going to be influenced by the ideas of what you have. So you better inform those ideas and step your game up with some serious philosophy in hopes that doing so will lead us to live better, happier lives. Because we might be doing this shit for all of eternity and infinitely many times over. You know what I'm saying anyways me personally i wasn't always at that level my girlfriend on the other hand she was and back when the day when i would fucking say shit when we were first together like i can't believe motherfucking john for to you how selfish that he would leave the red hot chili peppers like look at all the happiness that it brings all the great things that they fucking all the great music they've done together like the relationship that they built they were together as a band for almost 20 years at that point you know what i'm saying like, and then to just fucking get up and walk away from that, like, how the fuck selfish, you know? My girlfriend, though, she was on a different wave, man. She'd be like, nah, at the end of the day, if you're not happy, you're not happy, and you have to do what's best for yourself. And, you know, for him, what's best for himself was to go and pursue his own music. And uh, because of that, it's, of course, he would have to leave. It doesn't matter. Now, what her whole justification was the experience was always there. They're never going to lose the experience. The music will always be there. We're never going to lose the music, right? We should be thankful that they ever made the music in the first place. And then if we can all, if we feel so inclined, we can go back and listen to it until we can no longer stomach the idea of another Red Hot Chili Pepper song, which is an in-fucking possibility, right? Little Mean Girls action. The limit does not exist. There's no limit for how many times you can hear a Red Hot Chili Pepper song, right? <laughs> That's my fanboy speaking. Anyways, the entire time, I fucking was stubbornly and adamantly like, fuck no, that's wrong, that's stupid, fuck that shit, right? I was still mad, that's what I say, you know what I'm saying, about the angriness. And then, I got dumped by my girlfriend. <laughs> In retrospect, it's actually pretty funny how melodramatic I was about the entire thing, right? Um, but anyways, uh, throughout the whole process, like the, the initial shock, one of the initial shocks is like, yo, how the fuck, like... After everything we've been through, like all the shit, you know, everything that I just mentioned about the John Frusciante example, like you're just going to throw that away. And she was like, yo, it's not throwing it away, man. Like nothing's ever going to take away the fact that we're together for that long and that we did so many great things together. We've experienced so many beautiful things of life together. Like that's will always be there. But sometimes people grow apart. Unfortunately, it's the part of the becoming. And at the time I was so fucking colonized bro i had such a call i'm just gonna be real with you i had such a colonized conception of what love is what relationships are it's like no fuck no the person you are with is the person you'll be with forever and nothing can change that even if you're unhappy you fucking grin and bear it and you fucking get through it nah man that's colonial shit that's the idea that fucking relationships are only to be between two people and never anybody else outside of those two people irrespective of how unhappy you are right that you can never divorce your husband or your wife because the big man in the sky supposedly is going to fucking cast you down to the fucking pits of hell for all of eternity for, you know, but defying your promise that you made before it. Like, nah, man, that's crazy. Especially if you start to think about it in terms of all the shit that I just said right now about the internal return. Like, what if it is in fact the case that we do fucking cycle through our patterns, of, uh, uh, through our existences for infinitely many of times for all of eternity? And if you're stuck in a terrible relationship like my girlfriend was, bro, you know what I'm saying? Uh, that, that's going to be all of her fucking eternities for an infinitely many of number of times. And I'm not going to front. Like, I probably wasn't. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I wasn't as happy either the first time we were together. And that would have been my fucking 
uh, infinite uh, my my reality for an infinitely number uh, infinitely many number of times. So realistically, now we've got back together since kind of like the Red Hot Chili Peppers, right? Um, somehow we'll make it because that's what we do. <laughs> Anyways, little Red Hot Chili Pepper song for those of you who aren't aware. Uh, the point being is that. Yo, we were both in not a good place and we speak about it openly still to this day that us breaking up was the fucking best thing that ever happened to the both of us because in that uncomfortability that came with the breakup, we both grew. We both grew as people. You know what I'm saying? And so when the Red Hot Chili Peppers got back together, I was just like, yo, destiny, is it in the stars? Calm the fuck down. That's not how I was, okay? It was more like, um, damn, I realize now in retrospect that... How selfish of me in the most vile base level ways that I had talked shit about in the previous podcast to be fucking upset that John Frusciante left the Red Hot Chili Peppers. It was all about me. It was like, yo, I like I like John Frusciante with the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I like the music that they make. I like the happiness that it brings me. I don't give a fuck about John Frusciante and the rest of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. They need to fucking grin and bear it in order for me, a person they don't even fucking know exists, to be happy. Bro, that is so fucking wrong. That was such a terrible way to view it. You know what I'm saying? And in 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 them uh, in the time that it was that it was apart, I realized that 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 way of viewing it was just again a reflection of the many faults that I still to this day have as a person. You know what I'm saying? So in them uh, all coming back and you know working it out, that's just the cherry on the top. But the piece had been made with them, you know, uh, potentially never being able to do so, come back together. That is. Anyways, um. Yeah, I'm at about the hour long mark now. It's about 50 minutes to be specifically or to be more specific. But um, I think this is about a good enough time as any to draw this bitch to an end, mostly because uh, the whole gist of today's podcast was to just share some of the ideas that I've been working on since the last podcast that I had. And again, looking forward to fleshing them out in further detail as my uh, my break continues. Um, I'm also looking forward to sharing some more original videos that are completely unlike those that I've been sharing thus far on Instagram. So hopefully keep an eye out for those. For those of you who have yet to follow on Instagram, I get the, you know, again, I've heard some of you say that you found me on Instagram through the podcast, right? So here it is again, for those of you in the future who potentially might be the same, OG underscore ice nice 13, follow your boy. Um, and yeah, aside from that, I hope you all have a great rest of your day. Peace.